hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. So I'm just thinking, like, we've got chapters 9 through 36 of First Enoch to cover today. Yeah. We should probably just get into it and put aside the, like, normal gibberish intro. Fine. Unless you really had something you want to talk about. <laughs> no, I don't know. Just the fact of, like, we should just dive into it and just, like, yeah, the normal gibberish stuff happened before because we're... I was introducing you to what a mukbang video is. Yes. Which, it sounds bad. It is bad. I don't recommend it. Mm -hmm. But human nature means that you've probably paused this and you went to go. So I'm sorry for exposing you to that as well. Yeah. It was pretty awful. It's just people eating in a video. Very noisily. Very loud, though. You could hear every single chew and crunch. And uh, it was an interesting (laughs) way to start off a conversation. It honestly made... Got you all choked up. It honestly made me very frustrated. <laughs> I'd hate eating noises. So I know they said no intros, yeah. but it's just like I needed a little breather before we dive in because I'm probably going to be really angry at these watchers right now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have God's judgment with you. Uh, Over here eating everybody's animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get into it, uh, I want to track backwards a little bit yeah. with uh, Mount Hermon. Yes. Or Hermon, however people want to pronounce it. Uh, it is the tallest mountain in ancient Israel. This was, I found this really interesting, this part right here. Uh, it can receive 60 inches or more of annual rainfall. Uh, the abundant moisture with the cold temperature means that Mount Hermon is covered in snow for much of the year. The wind carries the mountain's cold temperatures southwards through the Rift Valley, and uh, at times as far as the Dead Sea. And I just really thought that was interesting uh, when it comes to like looking up what Mount Hermon is and just kind of what it is today. Because we made the joke about uh, Paramount. Paramount, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're like, that mountain doesn't even look like that. But I, I didn't know it was just such a cold place. Um, there have been archaeological discoveries there uh, that focused on the settlement at the base of it. Uh, The occupation levels at Dan reveal a densely built, well-planned city with a massive fortification and public buildings and streets paved with cobblestone from the divided monarchy time frame. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the just a few other things real quick. The most significant of these finds is a cultic worship site that includes three parts, a podium for a temple structure, a square open area where the main sacrificial altar was located, and a side chamber used for ritual, uh, minor sacrifices, and administration. Um, So I just thought that was really interesting. One thing that came to mind, though, was, dang, that stuff got me choked up, too. (laughs) Is that the site uh, offers insight into the construction methods and worship practices from the biblical period. Uh, It could be the high places built by Jeroboam that we've talked about before uh, to worship the golden calf in 1 Kings 12, 29 through 31. So interesting. Just some stuff there. Uh, But more uh, than that is that the entire area of Mount Hermon, uh, the Bashan Dan is associated with the gateway to the underworld. Yeah, did we talk about Bashan with... um... Jesus talking about 
on this rock, I'll, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I think it. we briefly touched on it. Yeah. Just with where he was when saying that mm-hmm. was kind of near the foothills of like those mountains in Bashan. So when he's talking about the gates of hell won't prevail, and you're talking that they kind of viewed that as the portal to the underworld where, yeah, where Sheol, demons and Hades. bad stuff come from. So yeah, it's definitely known in that region for not good. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I found was the tombs of the Rephaim. Rephaim? Yeah, are just on the other side of the mountain there. And so then first Enoch, it literally means the cursed mountain. Yeah. And uh, the Rephaim, as you look at it, and we're going to be talking about it here, mm-hmm. uh, definitely tied in with kind of uh, giant clans and evil spirits. Yeah. And that's where we're going. That is where we're going. The well, one- not me. I'm going to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation. Yeah. After the mukbang, you might be going there. Uh, <laughs> just sounds like such a bad thing. <laughs> uh, the, the one last thing, and I read this in a commentary. Um, I'm not really sure where because I didn't put the source next to it, but uh mount Hermon is a strong contender for the location of jesus's transfiguration uh it's in all three of the gospels where um shortly after peter's confession and then we do also get that at that moment on that you just said the um the gates of hell won't Mm -hmm. prevail uh that he takes them up to a high mountain uh luke refers to it as the mountain so if these sections are taken in chronological order uh mount Hermon is probably the closest location for that um so yeah that that's just a little bit about mount herman um especially when we get talking about like uh, what you mentioned last week the michael heiser's book Mm -hmm. reversing herman so uh yeah i just want to bring a little bit into that and and get into it before we get into the book of watchers part two yeah i know you said all kinds of stuff but my brain is still stuck on that first thing of there being snow because when i first Mm -hmm. looked it up and i sent you the picture it was all grassy. I was like, Mount Hermon is nothing. Like, it's not big. And then you said snow. So I looked it up again while you were talking. I was like, oh, that's actually a legit mountain. So the more you know. The more you know. So I guess we're just going to spend time on big introductions anyways. No, that yeah. was good. Um, yeah, but jumping in 1 through 36, right? So this is Book of the Watchers. We made it 1 through 8 last time. Mm-hmm. And kind of, we stopped partway through a section, because 6 through 11 is a main section. All right, we had yeah. that 1 through 5 is the introduction, then 6 through 11 is kind of the next section. So we're going to do 9, 10, 11, kind of wrapping up that. Then we'll get 12 through 16, which is the next chunk, and then 17, 19, and then 20 through 36. So it's kind of split into, was that, four or five sections right there? Yeah, within itself. Yeah, so... We're kind of jumping into the middle of a narrative, coming into chapter 9. So. Go listen to part one, part one as a refresher, at least like the end part of it to kind of get where we were at with eight coming into nine. Yeah, I uh, mean, just quickly, we have the angels who had come introduced a bunch of stuff and uh, their judgment was coming. Basically, the the watchers, their judgment was coming. And that's where we pick up in chapter nine is uh, nine through 11. Really, uh, when I looked at it is God's response um, to what's happening. He hears the cries of the people that. Uh, were addressed to the holy ones of God's divine counsel. So that's in chapter 9. Um, and what is being communicated here is understanding that prayers and petitions to God himself can pass through uh, heavenly intermediaries. Mm-hmm. So you see that in Job. Job 5.1 says, uh, Call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? 
And then it's also in Revelation, we see uh, 5.8, it says, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, uh, which are the prayers of God's people. Oh, Revelation 8.4, too. Uh, the smoke of incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's which, a lot which of Which goes to what we were talking last time, the general thing, and depending on how familiar you are with some of this unseen spiritual realm type stuff, generally a lot of us are just raised like, oh, there's God, there's a devil, oh, there's some angels. Somehow there's demons in that mix. Yeah. But that seemed to be only Jesus' day, and then maybe that movie The Exorcist, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just, it's really vague on what's going yeah. on. But when you're bringing that, it's just like the angels interacting, right? So you would have Daniel, and Daniel's like praying out to God. Mm-hmm. And what's God's response? Michael shows up. But Michael showing up, he's like, my bad. I got held up because of the Prince of Persia, right? So yeah. there's this whole thing happening in the spiritual realm that does involve these other beings. Like, yes, God is the most high. He is all powerful. But he does, um, just like he does with humans, giving us authority and dominion and things to do here on the earth. He also works through other beings in the spiritual realm as well. It's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So that again, Enoch, first Enoch nine four, the is that's where the archangels uh do they bring their the petitions to God. Uh, and he sends Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel down to handle things. Uh so this again, I'm kind of summing up nine through eleven here. Uh so uh, Uriel is sent to give to Noah to give instructions about the coming flood. So that's his task. He's like, hey, go to Noah and and take care of that. Uh, Raphael is given the task of handling Azazel. Uh, So it says in 10.4, binding him hand and foot and throwing him into the darkness in the desert. So we briefly mentioned it last episode too, the Day of Atonement. Yeah. Um, So again, Azazel, it's not coincidental that the name of this demonic figure whose sins are sent to the Day of Atonement is also mentioned here. His mission, Raphael's mission uh, is the atonement aspect, so it, it has that. Uh, uh, both goats used in the ritual, and the same thing you'll find in Leviticus, I believe, 17? Yeah, uh, so. Double-check that. 16 but, or 17, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's commanded, so this is uh, what Raphael's supposed to do. He's commanded to write all the sins of the world on Azazel, that's 10.8, and he's also instructed to heal and purify the world from the corruption of Azaz- uh, that Azazel causes. So this is uh, both goats in the Day of Atonement, where one is sent out to the desert, and that's the one that has all the sins of Israel, and then the other one is sacrificed before God, and, and that's Yeah, for pure. the purification. Yeah. Which brings to, and we were talking about this last time, but as we're giving a summary, a little bit of understanding to it as well, is like Azazel. But when we look at the chief of all of these watchers wasn't Azazel. Mm-mm. It was a semiaza. Yeah. So when you're looking at something happens here that Semiaza is the chief and he comes down and when it talks about the things that he brought, well, one, he told everybody, let's go down to these women. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wait, you're going to pin this all on me. So they all made a conspiracy. They made a pact and they went down to do the thing. Right. But you have him showing them how to like cut roots and do different things. And all of them are teaching. But really, when Azazel came and taught weapons and warfare and um like beautification leading to adultery it was really like warfare and violence and then sexuality and adultery and lust those things came from azazel and it seems like those things coming from azazel as we go 
throughout these chapters. It went from Semeyaza and Azazel, and then Azazel gets listed first, and then Semeyaza after that, and then only Azazel. Like, there's just this flipping to, no, 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 write all of the sins on Azazel. Mm -hmm. So he did, again, we were talking last time about kind of you can have a crooked group and like, hey, let's go do this thing. And then one guy's just really taking advantage and like, yeah, you know, pin it all on him for what's going on. Um, but just, again, to highlight that thing that's going on, there's a whole lot of watchers, but this guy, Azazel, is the uh, the big bad one. Yeah, and there's also a parallel to the wedding banquet story that Jesus tells in Matthew 22, where the unworthy one uh, is bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness. Mm-hmm. And the connection is that the wicked share the same fate as Azazel, the prince of demons. Uh, so that's now a title that he's even given, uh, that it's kind of even more. Uh, so I think it says, then he will say to me, on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, and then the lake of fire seems to have its origin in First Enoch 54, 6. So even Azazel, again, yeah, his name only appears in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and we kind of talked about what the priest did there. One went out to Azazel, and the, inst- it, the instructions were, must present the goat for Azazel before God to make atonement and send it away into the desert for Azazel, and then the priest would confess over it all of Israel's sins. Um, and then the man who released the goat into the wilderness must ritually wash and clean himself. Uh, so in some extra biblical text, uh, Azazel appears to function possibly almost like Satan himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Revelation of Abraham, Azazel appears as a competitor to God for his glory. He's also portrayed as one, the one who persuades Adam and Eve to disobey God. Uh, and tries to lead them astray and received what he got for it. Yeah, and that's when I was first looking through and going through, you do see some of these similarities between Azazel and who we call Satan or Mm -hmm. the devil. Because we're like, oh, he's the big main bad one. Yeah. And Azazel really gets highlighted in that way, more specifically in Enoch versus, say, you brought up Job, right? Job, when it's talking about Satan, that's Hasatan, like that is the accuser coming it's not necessarily like it could be there's all kinds of you know talk about is the satan satan or just an accuser you know coming mm-hmm. in and, and fulfilling that role but you see going from old testament to new testament there is something that happens that you go from more of these oh all of the gods of the nations and all of this and those still exist in the new testament but then it's like no no, no satan is the one that all of this gets really pinned on and that's what you see happening here with Azazel. I'm not making the connection that Azazel is Satan. Yeah. But there is those similarities to where, oh, here's a main figure. Um, I know last time I said I wasn't going to do the Bible name game because all of them had L in their name mm-hmm. and all stuff. But I did think, at least for Azazel, because he's one of those guys, right? In the beginning of his name there, um, I saw that has like a relation to make. So his name was related to making things. And he's the one that came down oh, and taught people yeah, how yeah. to make weapons and whatnot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I wasn't going to get into everybody, but from what I was studying, all of them, when it lists off, well, these people taught this, and mm-hmm. their names were related to the things that they were um, passing on to humans. Oh, that's pretty cool. Although you said you don't want to call him Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Enoch 54, he's also called Satan. So We're in chapter 9, 10, and 11. That's just a preview of that, what's coming up. But yeah, uh, I, I like this. David Wright, uh, he wrote this. Of the four views, understanding Azazel, as a demonic personality uh, is the most reasonable. So, you know, understanding him as a demonic personality is the most reasonable. The main evidence for this are Leviticus uh, 16.8 prescribes that Aaron is to place a lot on each of the two goats provided by the Israelites. 
uh, one goat as a being for Yahweh, while the other lot designated the other goat as a being for Azazel. As the first lot is for a supernatural being, Yahweh, so the second lot should be for a supernatural being of some sort. The goat designated for Azazel is sent out to Azazel in the wilderness, which is one of the usual abodes of demons. Mm-hmm. So e- even I think when he's bound hound and foot, he's cast out into the it's In desert. the wilderness, into the desert, into a pit covered by jagged rocks for eternity until the end when a judgment will happen. And like, yeah, he's everybody gets punished, but his he gets solitary confinement. Yeah. <laughs> like that's really what's going on. And, and correct me if I'm wrong or if anyone who's listening who knows, who's way smarter than me. Um, the Day of Atonement, this specific practice of it, was only for when they were in the desert, right? The children of Israel. So it just kind of makes sense that this is then connecting. What, the, the goats being sent? Yeah. I mean, it could have been when they went to the promised land too. I, I'm just making the connection of like. Oh, yeah. I think that's all the time for atonement. It's like going out to the desert, like into the wilderness, yeah. into the wild. Um, and even making the connection with Enoch that that's where he's cast out. That's where he's put. You're really tripping me out because everything in my brain says, no, that's just the practice for the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. But now that you said that, I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Because I know there are some practices that were yeah, desert for specific. Here and for them. And the, yeah. Interesting. Oh, we'll need to go back and brush up on our... Uh, <laughs> day of Atonement knowledge? Yeah. <laughs> After all that Day of the Lord from uh, the Forgotten oh, Books, now so we're going to get a Day of Atonement. Like, that really is a good study, though. It is. Especially with understanding the gospel and everything that comes in. But that is a, another series we'll do that when we get to... I do have one more thing on Azazel before we can move on into like some of the other stuff that's going on. I know last time we were talking about these uh, watchers coming down and we were talking about the other ancient s- stuff and uh, stories of like the Anunnaki mm-hmm. and, and that. And it's like, here's the watchers coming and bringing these things. And the Bible says they're bad. But like the Anunnaki are the ones coming down like, oh, these are good. They're coming and teaching us these things. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing that one of the biggest parallels that I found when studying is that what's uh azazel's story and what's relayed with him here is most with uh prometheus yes so when you look at prometheus he's the guy that generally oh he brought fire down from the gods right Mm -hmm. and kind of taught some stuff and he taught some other things along with that and he's the light bearer right if you look at prometheus and maybe if you look at lucifer the light bearer and you know just these different parallels but when you see things outside of the bible some of these characters tend to be like, oh, wow, they did a good thing of bringing these things to us from what the gods had. Because, like, those gods are mean and they're keeping mm-hmm. the stuff. But here's one that, like, did something for the humans. Which kind of makes me think of, uh, what's that Disney one? Maui? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he sings that whole song and he's like, yeah. oh, man, I've, I've sprouted the trees for you and I brought this and I brought mm-hmm. this. And he's like, I'm the guy that did all that for you. So it's kind of that type of figure. Yeah. So worship me for it, you know? Right. Um, But Prometheus, when you look at these two stories, and when I was looking, they are like, well... Was Enoch kind of cribbing and taking from the Prometheus story? Is there something that existed that the Prometheus story was taken from the Enoch story? Um, from everything, when you're doing more of a textual analysis of things, we only have evidence that Prometheus story written down and existing as a story is older than Enoch. To say that, oh, it was taking from an Enochic mm-hmm. story, then you're presuming that something existed that we don't have evidence for. Right. And there's nothing really in the languaging of it that shows that there was a roundabout. Plus, in Scripture, as we've talked about a lot, is that there are a lot of times when in the Old Testament, they would take things of the surrounding beliefs of the surrounding people and say, you think this is what happened, mm-hmm. but let me correct it for you in view of Yahweh to give you the right view of it. 
So it's like, oh yeah, Prometheus, you think that he's like the good one? Nah, that's this dude Azazel. Like, here's what this story actually went down. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. So if you're familiar with Prometheus at all on some of that rough parallels in that story to Azazel, so you might be able to think like, okay, bring that in. Yeah, and that's why he gets solitude, confinement. Yeah, so that was another thing in Prometheus, right? So mm-hmm. Zeus gets mad. He's like, what did you do that for? And, and catches him and just like, all right, well, I'm going to bound you up to the side of a cliff. And then Prometheus just keeps running his mouth and doing all this stuff. So the cliff opens up and engulfs him and he comes into being inside of the mm. rock. And it's like, what happens with Azazel? He gets put into the hole covered with all of these jagged rocks and stuff. So again, there's parallels in it. Yeah. So the next thing then is uh, Gabriel. So we'll get into him. Gabriel is given the job of destroying the Nephilim and the giants. Uh, so 9, 10, he, he does not directly do it, but he's, he does it by putting them against each other until they are destroyed by the flood. So that's in First Enoch 10, 9 through 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Michael is sent out to capture and bind uh, Semiaza and the other sinful watchers. So this is where we get into like, yeah, Semiaza was the leader running the show. Uh, like you mentioned, and then but Azazel got way more of the the kind of punishment. But Michael comes in, he he um, binds them, uh, he imprisons them into the abyss until the day of the Lord, where they will be judged. And this that sounds real familiar. Does take us to Second Peter, which mm-hmm. we already covered in the Forgotten Books, and he also makes the same claim. So I'll I'll read it. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, uh, putting them in chains of darkness to be held in judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on uh, its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So again, also in First Jude, and the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains uh, for the day of on the great judgment. Uh, Revelation also parallels this when it takes uh, talks about the binding of Satan. So there we see the four angels given their jobs, archangels. Right. And this is what we were talking about before recording today of just first Enoch parallels a lot of stuff and fleshes out a lot, whether you're looking at those things that you just talked about or earlier on in the story when it's talking about Genesis 6 and kind of all that. And still what we're into with this beginning part of the book of the Watchers and what's happening towards like, oh, very little details there. What am I supposed to do with that? And then Enoch really gives like, well, here's some stuff that you can do with that. I don't take first Enoch as like, here's the legit history of the world and what happened. However, we do know that the New Testament authors were familiar with first Enoch. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're kind of like paralleling what's being said and whatnot is like, okay. It was in the common thought of the time and they weren't coming against it. So I don't know. I allow it into my little universe of thought of, okay, that fleshes out the story. I don't need to yeah. live by it, but uh, I'm glad I have it. Yeah, one of the things I read, too, was that the book of Matthew uh, parallels Enoch more than uh, a lot of the other books. It's, it, it was almost to, like, uh, at least the book of the Watcher or maybe the whole book in, as a whole. Um, but it, it was saying that it didn't know if, again, when we get into, like, who influenced who, mm-hmm. if it was... Uh, Matthew that was influenced by Enoch or the author of Enoch who was influenced by Matthew or if both of them were influenced by an outside source type thing but they do parallel a lot of uh, from each other right and when so you're talking about which one is influenced by who I think that this portion of Enoch is really old yeah from what I was and this was something that I've kind of found out from the last time that we were talking is that the oldest parts of Enoch being like 
was it third or fourth century BC, mm-hmm. is that as far as commentaries on a biblical book, this would be like the first kind of commentary in that way of, of like breaking it, breaking it open. Because by the time that this was written, Genesis had been written and was considered like written scripture. Mm-hmm. So then the next oldest, closest thing that we have referring to a thing and really extrapolating it out would be First Enoch, mm. which is what makes it unique. Yeah. Because later on, you get like the Targums and different stuff where they, you know, they do some different teachings. But this kind of was the first in a way. And it was just little, <laughs> little details floating around in my head. The, the other uh, last thing I'll, t- I'll talk about in this section is that you also see a mention of four angels, mm-hmm. archangels at least, um, and in the Bible... You only get two. You only get the two of them, Michael yeah. and, and uh, Gabriel. So uh, here we've learned there's Uriel and Raphael. Which, in some translations of First Enoch, mine got put into just being Surafel. So there's three, but it has the footnote of like Surafel also being two, so... I'm not sure what happened there. I, didn't, I really didn't care with everything else we're covering. It's just like, why did you only say one of them? I'm like, okay, well, they had a task to do yeah. nonetheless. But coming from all of those angels and coming in right then, it gets into this thing of at the end of that, talking about the righteous ones will escape and they'll become the living ones and they'll multiply. They'll become tens of hundreds and thousands and right, they're going to find blessings and then just everything planted with trees will be blessing mm-hmm. and all of these good things happening after the evil is wiped out. And it really is talking about like all injustice and all defilement, all impression, all sin, all iniquity is removed from the earth. And it gives almost this um, end times, like here's what's going to happen when mm-hmm. it's all removed. But he does it in a way that it cuts out how much, like a lot of prophecy does. I've heard of prophecy almost being like mountaintops. That a lot of times you can see the mountains, but you can't see how much distance is really between them. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So it's kind of like, here's like, hey, these things are going to happen. And it's like, and then all of the sin is gone right. and it's going to be like this. And you you don't see the distance between those because obviously we're still living in a world where there is oppression and defilement and sin and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that completion of the kingdom coming for the righteous ones hasn't fully taken place, but this was definitely steps towards that thing taking place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we get into chapter 12. Uh, so that shifts things over to Enoch. Mm-hmm. So now Enoch is uh, kind of the main and center of everything. Um, and first Enoch 12 through 16, uh, the watchers plead with Enoch to ask God to have mercy on them and their children, the giants. Uh, they aren't really repentant, and neither are the giants, but they just want a lesser punishment. Sounds familiar. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I learned it from them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that Enoch travels to areas around Dan and Mount Hermon, uh, both associated with the evil and corruption of the Nephilim. And from there, he accesses their prison, and then he brings their uh, play, their what they're talking about to God, and is told that due to their continued rebellion and wickedness, they will have no mercy, and the punishment is forever. So mm-hmm. that's their... Uh, Father Stephen DeYoung, he relates this to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, um, and that reads, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in heaven, in, uh, made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went, down, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned mm-hmm. spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Yep. So he ties that verse into 
the same thing that just happens here. Uh, and then he says this about it. This, uh, the somewhat cryptic reference in First Peter to Christ's proclamation to those in prison from the day of Noah and Hades is a reference to Christ fulfilling uh, this pattern from First Enoch. The gospel is the preaching of Christ's victory over the demonic powers, sin, and death. Christ proclaimed the victory to the imprisoned fallen angels to proclaim their doom as Enoch had, though now that doom was fulfilled. So basically, he's tying it in and saying, now Jesus went and did it, and it was like, we won, and we're proclaiming victory over all of you guys, and this is the punishment that you're having. Yeah, I like that tie-in. Can I jump back? Yeah, go for it. So, chapter 12, verse 1. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gave a really yeah, good yeah, summary yeah. of it, and it's like, yeah, that, that really is what happened. But really coming in 12.1, I like it because just like the previous to Genesis 6 and really b- broke that up, 12.1 and 2 really gets into earlier in Genesis like, and there was Enoch and he walked with God and then he was no more. So 12.1 pops in. So Sorry. The funny part <laughs> was I have in my notes, read verses 1 through 3, but I was like, ah, I'm just going to skip it and go <laughs> through the rest of the thing. So I guess we're going to read 1 through 3 anyways. Well, just again, for you gave a really yeah. good everything there, but I like it because it's, it's taking the thing that we're familiar with and going, hey, look at this. So, and then he was no more, as Genesis puts it. And 12.1 picks up. Now, before these things happened, Enoch was hidden, and no one of the children of the people knew by what he was hidden and where he was, right? He was no more. Where'd he go? Mm-hmm. And verse 2 and his dwelling place, as well as his activities, were with the watchers and the holy ones. And so were his days. And I, Enoch, began to bless the Lord of the mighty ones and the king of the universe. All right? So it's like, where did he go? And it's like, well, he was taken up and he was dwelling place and what he was doing. He was now interacting in this sphere with the watchers, the holy ones. And then as we progress further into this watchers coming really into the throne room, which that's some fun stuff to look at. Yeah. And what I really uh, points out here too is like, this is where... Uh, that portion right there is where you actually have Enoch talking. Yeah, and I Enoch. Yeah. I Enoch for the very first time within the book. So it, it does bring out like, yeah, what happened after he was no more. And then boom, here's the continuation of it. Uh, like you said, there's the, the throne room of God, the vision of God's throne. Um, and there's a com- that's in Enoch 14 and 15. Um, and that there's comparisons between Daniel 7 there. Uh, Enoch's vision is set in heaven and includes heavenly beings like the throne uh, vision in Revelation 4, while Daniel's vision is not set in heaven and includes more earthly things, images of beasts with human features. Um, there's also the fiery cherubim, that's mm-hmm. Enoch 14.11, and the 10,000 times 10,000, that's Enoch uh, 14.22, additional angelic beings being identified as holy ones, uh, who never left the presence of God? That's uh, verse, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-three. So that that's fourteen and fifteen right there. Um, I don't know if you want to get into more of those cherubim and. No, we were talking about last time. Just to look at there's these different things that get labeled. I think I was saying that cherubim. It seemed to be that those were like throne room guardian type. So it makes sense that in this vision, that's where you find the cherubim or around the throne room. Um, but yeah, man, just the vision when he's there. And it just keeps going deeper. There was like, I saw these things and there's the stars and the lightnings. And then it looked like there was this, this building, which was made of white marble. And there's mosaics of white marble. The floor was crystal. The ceiling was like the path of the stars and lightning between which stood the fiery cherubim. 
And their heaven of water, flaming fire surrounded the walls and its gates were burning with fire. Then he enters that house and it says that it was hot like fire and cold like ice and there was nothing in it. So <laughs> fear covered me and I was trembling, right? So it really is just, it is a vision of something that is very otherworldly. Yeah. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Why choose the way up? Let me tell you, with the way up, you'll never have to drive by that cursed mountain, drive into heavy rainfall, drive into the snow, drive on streets paved with cobblestone, drive by sacrificial altars, drive by the gateways to the underworld, drive by pagan temples, drive by the tombs of the Rephaim, with real time and a constantly updated GPS, the Way app will lead you exactly where you need to go and will make sure you get there safely. The Way app was built to transfigure the way you drive. Never be led in the wrong direction again. Choose the way. Yeah, I think just looking at it, as you get in, he's talking about just how all of these things look and just how grand and big and different. And like, it really is, you, you see it a lot in Marvel movies where they'll go into like space or different things yeah. happening. And like, it just has a completely different look and things happen. Like, you know, that gives you an idea. We've had the chance with our other podcasts, like, well, here's the teaching one and here's the preaching one. And here's, the, you know, the chance to put in stuff. And I think with this, it can read there's like, Oh, and when we read visions and stuff in the Bible, it's like, oh, they did a thing and that doesn't really happen. Like, no, visions do happen. Dreams happen, mm -hmm. like you're saying. It might not have happened to you, which is nothing against you. Like, they don't happen all the time. They're not like, you know, but they can and they do. And if you look into a little bit, like, it's there. Yeah, and it's also safe to say that when you look at the Bible and the dreams and visions given to people, uh, it's not like they were given to every one of the Israelites. Right. Like, it was given to specific people who had a specific message to give out to people. Um, 15, Enoch. Yes. Going to chapter 16. Uh, this is after the death of the giants. Uh, their spirits become evil spirits, demons, and they continue to roam the earth and afflict human beings. So then this is where we get the understanding of the origin of unclean spirits in the Old Testament and demons in the gospel. So, in case you've ever had that question, look. Yeah, there it is. It right is. There. And it's crazy to me because we're talking about angels, we're talking about spirits and demons and everything, and people are like, but that's first Enoch. None of that's true. Uh, but it is crazy how much we get our theology from like the screw tape letters mm -hmm. on demons. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then when we, we look at First Enoch, we're like, no, I'm not going to take any of it from Kind of like when you look at the early church writings and stuff, it's like, mm -hmm. well, that wasn't in the New Testament. It's like, okay, so you're going to trust the prophet Bob down the street? Yeah. <laughs> like he's the guy that's got it, not the yeah. guy that was taught by John? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing to me. It's like C.S. Lewis, love his work. Oh, yeah. Everything is great. great. Uh, but we also have First Enoch that puts more depth into what we have. Uh, and I thought this was interesting uh, in Michael Heiser's uh, companion book of Enoch. He says that First Enoch 19.1 links to with uh, Deuteronomy 37 or 32.17 and Leviticus 7.17 and uh, its explanation of where the watchers are sent as punishment. So Deuteronomy reads, uh, they sacrifice to false gods, which are not gods, gods 
they had not known gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. And then Leviticus reads, uh, they must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols or demons to whom they prostitute themselves. This will be a lasting ordinance for them and for generations to come. So I read that in NIV so I could make sure I said prostitutes themselves and not what New King James has. Um, but yeah, he links it all together that this is, this is where we get that, that, the concept of demons and everything. Yeah, and within that kind of the explanation that's given is like, hey, those that are from the earth and on the earth, they remain kind of on the earth. Those from the heavenly realms, like that's where you are. But this union that's come in and now that they've entered into the heavenly place, but they have this eternal part to them when they die they're going to be bound there. Like they can't leave that place. Um, yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Also tying into things that you, you brought in that was it Michael or Raphael like started wars between them. Uh, Raphael. Let me double check. Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyways, Gabriel came in, you know, got those wars happening, but then it was also the flood came in and wiped them out. And I just think of, when it talks about unclean spirits, when Jesus is talking about them, and they go around, and when they hit water, mm-hmm. they turn around, and you even get with legion, yeah, to where just like ah, the water, and like the water is a thing. So it just for these unclean spirits to be wiped out by a flood, and then as they're wandering around, like in the desert and the places, they hit water, and like all right, water ain't our thing, and then you get legion the pigs, and they all drown themselves in the water, and like that's kind of the punishment going on there. It's a this weird couple things that click looking at it. You want to know a weird thing that just clicked in my head? Yeah, of course. You ever see the movie Signs? Yes. The aliens that come down? Swing away. <laughs> yeah, swing away. And the aliens that come down and like there's always, there's a lot of thought behind the book of Signs or the, the book of Signs, <laughs> the movie Signs from the prophet M. Night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there's a lot of talk about like they weren't uh, aliens, they were demons. And the thing that took them out was water. And even the, in there, he was like, for some odd reason, uh, Father, because it's, it's a journey about a, a mm-hmm. pastor who lost faith, who then refound his faith after this moment in his life where these aliens came. But it was a demonic attacking of people. And he was like, uh, M. Night, uh, where he says, for some odd reason, they don't like water. And then he goes there. So when you said that, my brain went straight to that movie and, and that whole scene. I don't know if we're going to make it all the way to 36 because another quick tangent, just talking about demons mm-hmm. and uh, aliens and especially just all the UFO sightings that have been happening. And then isn't it a trip that the government's like, oh, yeah, aliens and UFOs are a thing. And nobody did anything about that. Right. They're just like, tell us, tell us, tell us. And they told us, like, dude, we have so many other things going on right now. <laughs> they, it was like they found the right time to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. But within that, I highly recommend, I, I mentioned it when we were talk, giving our little tribute to, to Heiser that how I found him was reading The Portent and the Facade. Mm-hmm. And in that, he gets into a lot of on the government level. And again, it's a, it's a story, but it's using a lot of real stuff. But that when you're looking on the government level and demonic forces going on in the world is that aliens are going to be the cover up for demon actions going on. Mm. And that it really, so as you're, as you're making that connection there, is that that's a really big premise in those books. And when you see how it can play out, 
So I was like, yeah, a lot of our culture is primed for the existence of aliens, but also like, oh, the spiritual realm, God, like that's not real. But there's these other beings from other planets. So I was like, what a better time for some demons to show up. I'm like, yes, we are from other planets, you puny human. Right? Mm-hmm. So look out for them demons. Yeah. They're out there. Isn't that the tagline for <laughs> X-Files? <laughs> we need to get back to what's going on. People are like, we've never seen the side of this show. What's First, the Enoch podcast? must be not biblical because they're talking about last time ayahuasca trips. Now they're talking about demon aliens, signs oh. by the prophet M. Night. <laughs> We really lost track of what our podcast was supposed to be about. <laughs> this is what it was going to be all along. Yeah. <laughs> um, After how solid the Didache was of just like follow these rules, this is this is a different book. Yeah, what I like about Enoch, and again, I don't know, maybe we will uh, save uh, 17 through 36 or wherever we're at um, for the next episode. Uh, but what I like about Enoch, in itself is it does give some explanations to things. It does uh, help illuminate what's really going on in the spiritual realm, but it does bring a sense of fun to it. Um, it, It's not like the other writings where like, I guess with the Bible, it's like you can't make these odd connections between uh, demons not liking water in the movie signs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this does offer that kind of fun to have with it, that we can look into a little more of like, Things because people have been reading Enoch for a long time and making outlandish mm-hmm. claims about it, especially this part particularly. Uh, when we get into the other stuff, because nobody makes a tale list, though. yeah, <laughs> they're just like, "Well, that was a fun part." I'm- yeah, because you get started into the parables and you're like, "No, this, I'm out." Like this yeah. is, and that the parables is where you get more of the um, division on Enoch and, and why it's not biblical. Uh, but like in this section of the Watchers, it does just bring out, I guess, some of the fun in in what we get to do. Yeah. Sorry, just thinking about like people not making it beyond. It's such a thing with biblical books. It was like, oh yeah, I read the first part of Daniel, but then it got weird. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, nah, I made it through like the first half of Romans. And then like, it got weird. People always talk about like the first half. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, what happens towards the end? Like even the first half of Acts. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, there's just different stuff to where really following through past the things that are more familiar. That just doesn't seem to happen. I mean, uh, most people get into Genesis and Exodus, and then halfway through Exodus, you're you're like, "Ah, I'm going to go skip somewhere else because the next few books aren't as fun. I'll go watch that DreamWorks movie. Yeah, that that explains it all. I do want to come back, though, to this um, destruction that's coming on the giants and the punishment that was given. um, Because Enoch coming in when he comes back to them is like, hey, look, I was told that you aren't going to be given mercy on this. Like, there's punishment coming on you, and there's punishment coming on your children, these, these giants on the Nephilim. The one thing I popped up to me was in uh, verse 12. And I'll, I'll just read 8 to 12. It says, And now the giants who were proceeded from the spirits and flesh will be called evil spirits on the earth, and their dwelling will be the earth. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men, and their beginning are primal origin is from the holy watchers they will be evil spirits on earth and they will be called evil spirits and then down to verse 12 and these spirits will rise up against the children of men and Mm -hmm. against uh, women because they have proceeded from them so again kind of going into like this origin of demonic activity of evil spirits uh, there enoch is kind of painting the picture it is because of the watchers and what they did that these spirits are now coming out but because these spirits were also partially from men uh, they're going to attack men and women as well so that 
that's kind of where um, what they're at and the, the origin of that is there. Uh, but yeah. I had another thing that I wanted to highlight too. Go for it. Just in uh, 15, because we're looking at, it's a weird thing, right? We tend to look as humans, as, as you were saying earlier, that we can give our prayers up to those in the heavenly realm and they'll take those prayers to God and like there's that interaction going on, right? And that's established throughout scripture. But what happens here that when the watchers fall, they're like, oh, Enoch, you're able to go into his presence. Mm -hmm. You need to get us off the hook. And in 15, this is God talking to Enoch, right? This is Enoch. Do not fear Enoch, righteous man, scribe of righteousness. Come near to me and hear my voice and tell the watchers of heaven on whose behalf you've been sent to intercede. It would be good for you to intercede on behalf of men and not man on your behalf, right? It's just like you, you're supposed to be interceding on their behalf and mm-hmm. you're screwing up and then you're sending him here. Like this is all backwards on what's going on. And then goes on, for what reason have you abandoned your high, holy and eternal heaven and slept with women and defiled yourselves? And then it goes on to talk about, look, I gave them wives so that they could procreate and continue down. But in your heavenly place, you had an eternal place there. You didn't have a need for a wife going on. And you just look at like, you gave up what you had. You didn't appreciate the thing you had. And you went and not only like you defiled yourself, but then you brought all of this upon them. And now you're going to the person that you screwed up and trying to ask me forgive. Like, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's a weird thing going on. Yeah, and in it, you just see like the that that um what they brought on was that total corruption. And mm-hmm. again, it goes back to what Peter said: the abandoning of their posts, uh, that they abandoned what they were supposed to be doing, and chased after something. And again, it hits the similar notes of what the Bible kind of shows us: of like sometimes we abandon what we're called to be mm-hmm. for earthly pleasures, for what looks desirable. Adam and Eve, uh, it was pleasing to the eye. And that concept of pleasing to the eye is then like marched throughout almost all of the next five books of something was pleasing to the eye. They shouldn't take it, but they went after it anyways. Um, there's, there's even the story of uh, the two tribes, I guess it was like two and a half, that decided to not go into the promised land. Right. And they're like, they looked at this land and it was pleasing to their eye uh, and they decided it, it shouldn't. And this is like one of the first times where like the people had got on Moses's case and annoyed him a lot. But this is like the first time where he was like, no, what you're doing is wrong and compares it almost to the day of like, this is why the flood happened. This is why all of this stuff happened. Uh, You're kind of compromising on what is more pleasing to your eye than following after what God wants. Um, So when again, when we get into like the punishments and yeah, it seems hard and difficult, but um, it is these watchers who were supposed to be beings who guarded and protected and watched over who just went after what they wanted and didn't do what God called them to do. And then you see the contrast of Gabriel, Uriel, Raphael, and Michael, who then follow through on God's plans and in and, and that. So it always uh, there's always themes of uh, the, the people who don't and then the people who follow through. And, and even in Noah's day, right, there's all the people who are running wild, but Noah was righteous. He follows through. And like my favorite part of Noah's story is the part that says, and Noah did all the things God commanded him to. Mm-hmm. Just it is showing the complete opposite of what everyone else was doing at that time. Yeah. So next time we can get into Enoch's journey, like you were saying, like into the heavenly realms and being shown all these things and 
because that's a whole different section away from kind of what's been happening with the watchers here. Mm -hmm. But I do think that where you've brought it there about what we can learn from this is, you know, what that obedience looks like and not going after those desires and not abandoning our post. Because, man, it talks about, you know, in the scriptures, giving up your birthright. Like, what was yours by way of birth? What God was giving to you as being part of his family. And if you're going to give that up, you see that with Esau, right? He mm-hmm. gave up his birthright for a plate of stew. And then that's compared to those who were sinning later on in the New Testament. Like, oh, are you going to do that, you know, with, with what God's given you? But then it's like, okay, but what does that mean more? And when we look into, well, what was it that these angels came and brought down? And it's just like, well, you're seeing all of the like lust and the war and the violence and the astrology and looking to the uh, creature rather than to the creator and looking at all these different things. It's good to go through what those angels brought and just like, oh, and not that this is Bible truth going on, but to be able to look at where could I find that men focusing on these things or having these things and prioritizing these things have led us astray? How are those things taking a role in my life? Mm -hmm. And what would it look like for me to not be taking part in those things? Because bringing it to the point of Noah, this is the world that if you were to take this layout, that Noah of the Bible, he's walking around amidst all of this. Yeah. Like, right? There's this interaction going on between the watchers and the women and there's the nephilim and there's wars going on and people are going hungry because there's no food because the giants are eating everything but at the same time the men are taking part in all of the things that are being taught and meanwhile you're part of this lineage that goes back to adam as you were talking about the age ranges that go on there and it's like oh there's something different and then you have god telling you no, I need you to listen to me, mm-hmm. even to the point of making a boat and you don't know what rain is. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when you have the whole world around you, because that's what it says, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, but Noah was righteous. And his righteousness, he had his wife and then he had his children and their wives, so they were able to come into that on the ark. And yeah, when you see like, oh, what was it was painting Noah's world? And for us to look at what's painting our world, and how can we stand righteous in that? Yeah, I think a lot of times too, it's uh, that I really like the way you said that. Uh, what's painting the world? And because when you said it, I just thought corruption, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what was painting Noah's world was corruption. And, and we get into today, it's like, oh, the world's so corrupt. It's it's so evil. It's never been as bad as it you know is today. Yeah, how are you going to stand in that corruption? What are you going to do that's different? What are you going to do that changes that? And as where Noah had an ark to keep him safe and protected, that ark is salvation that kept him safe we have christ in us living through us working through us and his holy spirit not a demonic spirit or a demon but the holy spirit working in us so that then we can bring people like the animals are brought in and his uh, noah's sons and their wives it doesn't say they were righteous noah's righteous and because of them they were brought in with him we can bring other people into this ark of salvation it's coming full circle. We were, was it before the recording or in the recording that we were talking about uh, Bashan and... In the recording. It was in the recording, right? Yeah, so we're yeah. talking about that, right? And going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, in the midst of this, like how you're saying, bringing people on it. Like, yeah, there's all of this demonic stuff and all the things, but the gospel really changed the thing to where 
the church being an active force to, as the early church was doing, literally casting demons out of people and bringing them into God's family and there being the restoration and the reversing of all of this evil, bringing back Dr. Michael Heiser's book of reversing Hermon. Jesus reversed so much of this stuff so that on the earth, it wasn't ruled by this stuff anymore, but that his church empowered by his spirit would go out and reclaim mm-hmm. and set things right, right? Because God made the the promise, I'm not going to send another flood. But what happened is better because rather than all of these men needing to die in a flood, now they can be redeemed from that and live in a new way. It's weird how that came back around. What does it say in Genesis? A lot. Genesis is big. So I, I, I know you're looking something up, but I'm just going to keep talking. Go for it. <laughs> um, well, I was, and then you said go for it. Oh, just again, from this, see how using this, at least for me, I can read these things, and it inspires me to walk more boldly in my faith and take the things maybe not from Enoch, but the things that we're talking about is like, yeah, let's take these truths of the gospel that we have and the truths of the world that we live in and really walk in that, right? So when I read this, sometimes how you're saying it's interesting, it's fun, it brings light to things. And for me, it makes things interesting in that way. And when things are interesting, probably my ADHD, it starts connecting all the dots, like as people mm-hmm. hear in all of the episodes where I'm just like, ah, the thing. But then I get excited, just like, cool. Then I'm amped up to walk in that then. And the fact of sitting here talking with you about it, and then we have other talks with our other church friends and, and that, right? So it's like, man, we're being motivated by these things to follow God. Mm-hmm. Uh- uh, I'm going to preface this with, it's just a thought. It has... Is that not the preface on all of our episodes? <laughs> I should probably put like that, her- get that heresy alert thing going on. Uh, because this this might fall into a realm of it. I don't know. Just when you were talking about the water again and, the, and Noah and the flood, um, and the covenant with them was never again will I destroy by water or flood. But uh, then we get in the reverse side of it that it's no longer water, it's fire mm-hmm. that consumes the earth. And for some reason, I just thought the day of Pentecost that the fire came down and consumed them. Well, it's Jesus. He said, I came to set the world on fire, and I wish that it already was on fire. Right. Yeah. And, and then think, just thinking like, well, the next wave is the church of fire coming down and restoring things and setting things right. Um, and that we should be a wave of fire just engulfing and taking over everything. And that was the plan. And that is the plan. Yep. Um, that, that we're the fire that goes out and spreads among the nations and wins people back and puts, brings them into that fire uh, and, and in a sense does the, the same thing but reverse or different mm-hmm. that happened to the world and the giants where they were consumed by water and then perished that this time it, it being consumed by fire, but it brings life. Again, not fully fleshed out. There might be some inaccurate biblical thoughts in there, but it, it just, it, it all dawned on me. It kind of hit when you were talking about it that, man, that's, that's really the image that God's getting here. And then, yeah, with the next episode, we'll get into the, the journeys into the places that Enoch goes, and then we'll also take a look at the seven angels. Yeah. I do want to say, just so that it can be done on this one, talking with what you were saying, I agree with that. Like, I, I like that vision. Again, so much of the stuff preface everything that I say on all of these episodes of it's just a thought unless yeah. I'm quoting scripture then that's scripture <laughs> if I'm quoting someone else then that's them and that's yeah. up to them on how truth for me it's a lot of just like here's how I'm putting the thing together that's why I like the show is like I'm talking with you mm-hmm. about things that I'm trying to work through it I mean you can hear me talking about the Trinity. I know we just posted the Trinity episode and different stuff it's like 
I try and just be pretty open and honest and still, you know, talk about it and not get uh, hunted down by our, well, anyone who's still listening at this point. <laughs> you, you guys at least like Chris and put up with me. No, but where was I going with that? Uh, are you talking about the, the new wave and going back and like resetting all the things in a different way for humans, right? Just like with these watchers and their children, there was no mercy and redemption for them. There is mercy and redemption for men, mm-hmm. for women, right? Mankind. And that the gospel going out is that mercy, is that grace to come in. But we're still fighting out against these spiritual forces that are in the world, both these evil spirits that roam around and things happen from there. But then this whole thing started with an evil conspiracy in high places Mm. to come down and infiltrate mankind. And then the roots of different kinds of evils that came into our race, so to speak, right? So the church going out, just like, yeah, dealing with different demonic stuff that people deal with, different forces, different things out in the world. But then to fight back on the power levels of where a lot of these things are rooted into, I think that with the proliferation of the internet and a lot of the things that have come to light over the past few years about like some of the really heinous big stuff that have been happening with really within powerful people and systems and different things that are at play well what's going to fix that only the church yeah it's only the church yeah i like that all right i'm chris i'm your we are your church friends thanks for listening excluded books of the bible